Okay, not allowed to heckle you while you're speaking, then I'll <laughs> wait. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So, if you weren't here last week, we started. Um, was turning out to be a really interesting series. I know lots of you have bought the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And then I know we had some really good um, conversations at small group on Thursday night in our 20 small group, just starting to unpick and asking God to reveal some of the areas in our lives that actually we've never really given over to God, but not really totally um, emotionally healthy, some of the habits that we've got in our life. And so Al's going to be unpacking um, more of that this morning around what it is to know ourselves so that we may know God better. Um, So I'm going to pray for him and we'll hand over. Yeah, Father God, I thank you so much for this man. I thank you for the way he serves you. I thank you for the way he loves you and loves your people. And Father God, I pray for all the preparation that's gone into this morning. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take every word and shape it and breathe life onto it so that our hearts would be changed and stirred and our minds be changed. Amen. Thank you. Excellent. So, yeah, my name's Alan. Um, I am married to Rachel. Um, and I co-lead church with her um, and the church plant team. Um, and I have a real privilege of being father to that little boy running out now, Caleb. Uh, we had a great day yesterday, pottering around um, our land, um, mowing the grass in the sunshine. Oh, Sabbath really well spent yesterday. So today I'm going to be carrying on from what Rach shared last week as she laid the groundwork for our autumn series um, the podcast uh, recording of last week is available on our website. So if you want to um, listen to it again, go to capogaladimorn.org um, on the podcast section. It's up there. Um, but basically, for the next two months, we are going to be exploring what it looks like to be an emotionally healthy church. Because as part of our discipleship to Jesus, it is to become more emotionally healthy because Jesus himself was that. So as we journey into becoming more like Jesus, we must also journey into becoming more emotionally healthy. So this series was indeed inspired by a book. Highly recommend getting hold of this to go through it with us. But ultimately, it all comes from the scripture, all comes from the Bible. Everything that we talk about um, comes from there. It is just applied um, through the book. So we'd like you to join with us in reading the book each week kind of journeying with that. Also, there's been some amazing uh, day-by-day kind of uh, devotional um, resource that has been created that me and Rachel have been trying this week that um, starts off with a couple of minutes silence and then takes you through just some practices that enable us to go deeper into these things and really journey each day, um, which have been really good. I'll be honest, the evening session of it, so it tends to be a morning and evening, the evening session, two minutes silence, Both me and Rach at different points in this week um, have ended up having seven hours community with God as compared to just two um, as our eyes have remained shut for a little bit too long. But um, I think that still works. I think it's fine. So um, to begin today, I'm going to start by using the word that we keep on coming back to, 
discipleship. Discipleship is about coming to know God better. Yeah? Discipleship is about getting to know God better. But it is also more than that because discipleship is also about coming to know ourselves better. Augustine in AD 400 wrote, How can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? And he was known for praying, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. Or John Calvin in 1530 wrote, Our wisdom consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. But these two are connected by many ties, and it is not easy to determine which of the two proceed or gives birth to the other. In modern language, it's a bit like the chicken and the egg. Which comes first? Because to know God means we must know ourselves. But we must also know ourselves in order to be able to know God. And you see, it's bringing these two things together, this knowing ourselves and knowing God, which is where real, true, whole life discipleship comes through. Because with one breath, God made us human. Yet somehow today, we quite easily slice out the emotional portion of who we are, deeming it a little bit suspect or irrelevant or maybe of secondary importance. Because often in church, our view of discipleship is like the good bit that we really need to focus on is the spiritual bit. But then we set aside the physical, the emotional, the social, the intellectual components that make us who we are. But nowhere in the Bible does it support such a division in our life. A person's life is very much like an iceberg. Um, John, could you just click next on the slide? Don't worry, there's only one. Um, That's it. That's great. So a person's life is very much like an iceberg. The vast majority of the stuff that goes on inside of us happens below the surface. And part of whole life discipleship is about taking a deep, hard look inside of our hearts, asking, what is Jesus trying to change? What does God want me to become more aware of deep beneath the surface that hinders me from becoming more like Jesus? I know for Rachel and myself, this is really evident in our marriage. There are thoughts, feelings, and emotions that lie deep beneath the surface that come to the fore every so often, usually in some not-so-great behaviors. Like for me, as I think for most people, it tends to happen more when I'm under pressure or when I'm tired, that I begin to um, make remarks in a joking tone that ultimately hold a lot of truth to what I'm feeling, but I'm... I don't want to like kind of just say directly, so I say it in a little bit of a joking way, a little bit of sarcasm to try and cover over what I'm truly feeling. Often in times like these, I think, oh man, if only I could take those thoughts and feelings away, if only those things that bubble up every so often, I could just hide if I could just bury them a bit deeper so that they don't come up. So in those times when I'm under pressure, in those times when I'm tired, I don't have those behaviors. I then can often kind of think, you know what, I need to get more spiritual about this. I just need to turn to the spiritual disciplines a little bit more. I need to read my Bible more, pray more. 
But you know what? I have begun to notice there is a distinction between people that go through this cyclical pattern of feeling great for a little while and then struggling for a little while, feeling great for a while, struggling for a while. And those that are journeying along this gradually becoming more and more Christ-like in their discipleship. And I believe it is their emotional health. They have intentionally taken time getting to know who they are, looking beneath the surface so that they might know, come to know God better. Because you see, you can do everything right. You can pray, fast, read, give, etc., etc. Yet, in all of these things, they never get you to look beneath the surface and deal with who you are so that you might become who and everything that God has made you to be. I think too often we are too afraid of what people might think of us if we let those things that are beneath the surface come to the front. And often we just see our discipleship as a way to become like someone else. We look at someone that is more spiritual, further along in their journey of maturity than us, and we just think, oh, if I could just be half of that person, that's all I need. And so i am just got to do more. But a famous rabbi once said, at the end of your life, God will not ask you, why were you not Moses? He will ask, why were you not you? Why did you not try to live out? Why did you try to live out someone else's life that was not your own? You see, feelings and emotions are such an important part of our makeup as humans. We are so much more than just spiritual beings, yet have physical, emotional, social, and intellectual components of our being that need recognizing and need developing. It has been said that emotions are the language of the soul. And our God is an emotional God. So I've got some examples here of where God showed emotion. I'll run through them really quickly. So Genesis 1, 25 God saw that it was good, very good. In other words, he was delighted with his creation. Genesis 6, 6, the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. Exodus 20, verse 5, I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Isaiah 42, 14, for a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back, but now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out. I gasp in pain. Jeremiah 30, verse 24, the fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. Jeremiah 31, 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with kindness. Hosea 11.8, how can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. Matthew 26.37-38, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Mark 3.5, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. Luke 10.21, at the same time, Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't it interesting that throughout the Bible, we see that God is an emotional God and we were created in his image 
And so a very part of being human is to have emotion and the full range of emotions. Often when we recognize our emotions, we want to change them, right? So we go from sad to happy. We go from fearful to hopeful. We go from regretful to joyful. Yet we are rarely willing to sit in our emotions, letting ourselves reflect on them and process actually what they might be telling us. Now, this is not to dwell on our emotions so that they overwhelm us or that we get to a point where actually we just accept them as part of our identity, you know, to sort of say, oh, I'm just sorrowful. Often we might feel our emotion and kind of be like, oh, I don't like this. God, just take it away. I don't want this. Why do I have to feel like this? But you know what? Rarely will God actually ever intervene and just take away an emotion like that. But it takes us to look deeper, look beneath the surface at what we are feeling and what that emotion is coming from. Because maybe it is our family past or our heart focusing on comparison or jealousy, a fear of lack or loss. We tend not to look beneath the surface because we are scared of what is down there. Maybe God is trying to speak to us through our emotions, through our physical bodies. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world. And I think the problem is so often we think that Jesus' call to die to ourselves from Mark 8.34 meant that we should take on more and more and we shouldn't have any of these, these negative feelings. That actually, unless we are living in joy and peace and happiness all the time, then we are not living our best Christian life. We die to all the wrong things, thinking that dying to ourselves for the sake of Jesus meant dying to self-care, to feelings of sadness, to anger, to grief, to doubt, to struggles, or to our healthy dreams and desires, to our passions. And I think this idea of journeying inwards to know ourselves better, allowing ourselves to become a little more messy, asking God for courage, making our yes be yes, not the tentative Facebook maybe, and our no be no, even if that is saying no to good things, which I know for me is really difficult. Sometimes there are things that I know is just a step too far. It is not looking after myself, but I can't help but say yes, because I'm like, oh, but it's good. Yet I believe as followers of Jesus, we are told not to follow the trends of the world. We are always striving for more, for bigger, for better, yet have a crippling sense of anxiety that we are not good enough, that we don't measure up to the world. There's comparison to celebrities, to our neighbors, to our work colleagues, to other people's giftings in church, etc., etc. We never stop. Our lives are so busy, we are always connected, switched on, we have access to everything and anything. I heard an interesting term the other day. Um, have you heard of this? Infobesity i.e. we have become so obese on information, we have lost the ability to filter, to feel, to have emotion. 
you must have noticed in yourself or at least heard someone else say, oh, don't watch the news anymore. Never anything happy on there, is it? It's always sad. You know, we can watch the horrors around the world and just feel hopeless at best or completely immune to emotion at its worst. Yet we are human. We have emotion. And to fully know God and become more like him, we must learn to know ourselves, know what's going on inside of our hearts. Seeing what God might be saying to us through those emotions We must learn to look beneath the surface of the iceberg and begin to discover more about our own hearts, our pasts, and how our experiences have shaped who we are and all that we can become in Jesus. But how do we look beneath the surface? Really, what can we do? Well, Jesus, remember, was fully God, but he was also fully human. He felt emotions, as we do, yet he was able to accept them accept who he was and powerfully move from that place, knowing who he was and knowing God. In Luke chapter 5, um, we, begin, we see Jesus begin his ministry by heading out into the desert or into the wilderness. So he goes out there for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, he is tempted by Satan saying, look, you can have all of this if you just bow down to me. And I was looking into this, and I heard this really interesting take on it. Because I think um, when I hear Jesus went out, he fasted for 40 days. He was in the wilderness, in that desert place. And then he fought off the devil. It's kind of like, oh, Jesus is such a rock star. Like, even being in the wilderness for 40 days, at his weakest point, he is able to fight off. Like, I could never do that. I'd just be like, yeah, just give me bread. I don't care. Just, just take it. But you know what? Actually, throughout the Bible, we see Jesus entering the wilderness, entering the desert place, or what you might call the place of solitude. It was because that was the place where he gained his strength. It was a place of conditioning ready for the fight. In Luke 5, we see um, that Jesus is out there for 40 days, and then the devil was allowed to tempt him. Because that 40 days was preparation. It was a conditioning. Like a boxer will go into a, um, a preparation in training. Like all of us have been in, intensely doing our training ready for the Bangor Half and 10K in a couple of weeks' time. Yeah, yeah. But like that training in preparation, that we make ourselves weaker, maybe physically, but there is a strength that comes from it. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus going away into the place of solitude, sometimes for a short time, sometimes for longer. But he often gets away and is filled in this place. This is the axis of his entire life. The central point in all the chaos of being this rising preaching star in the Middle East. As thousands followed him and fame was growing, as he healed the sick and moved from town to town, he retreated into solitude. And from this place, he gained clarity of who he was. He was able to say no to things, even good things. He was in step with God's presence, and he was empowered for the work ahead. Therefore, if we are to become more emotionally healthy, as Jesus was emotionally healthy, 
So we can grow in rounded discipleship to Jesus. We must incorporate this practice of silence and solitude into our lives. In our busy 24-7 society, retreating into the desert place, into silence and solitude is really, really hard. Who here finds it difficult to stand at a checkout for more than five seconds and not get your phone out just to, I don't know, check that there's nothing on there? Or maybe you've managed to turn the TV on before your bum has even hit the sofa. I'm quite good at that. Or you cannot cope with silence in a public place. If I just stopped talking for a minute now, you'd all be like, is he okay? See what's going on. In our busy lives, time with God is often the first thing that gets dropped. In our time, and in our time with God, it usually is a thoroughly active affair because we've like, right, we have got five minutes, so I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, which is me talking at God about, God, I pray for this, I pray for this, I pray for this. And, and then it's kind of like, right, God, now I'm going to be quiet so you can give me a picture or a word right now, please. Okay, right, I think I finished what I'm going to do, okay, and God, go. It's really awkward to sit in that silent place. Have you ever done it where you've sat there for a couple of minutes and you're like, I'm not receiving anything? And you feel your mind start to go, why aren't I receiving anything? Oh, come on, God, come on. Yet for Jesus and many people across history that have pursued whole life discipleship well, they know to retreat into the desert place was not a sign of weakness, but as conditioning into a strength of play, into a place of strength. I think that looking beneath the surface is what might be known as a Copernican revolution for the church. Now, Copernicus was this astronomer who first proposed that the earth was not central to the universe, that maybe the sun is what we revolved around, and even maybe there are other solar systems beyond ours. Now, at that time, this was very, very far-fetched and deemed as heretical, as how could we, the earth, humans, not be the center of everything? And I think that exploring and developing our emotional health, rather than just the spiritual aspect for the church, may be a little bit of a Copernican revolution. A step that changes the very way that we see discipleship and faith, removing that unconscious, sacred, secular divide that keeps us repeating the same cycles of faith, yet allowing us to grow and reach new levels of maturity in Christ. Because no matter how long or short we have been a Christian, or maybe we're not even, we haven't even made that decision yet, don't forget that we can have followed Jesus for 40 years read our Bible daily, prayed holes through our genes because we have been on our knees for so long. Yet we have never really matured in Christ as we have not looked below the surface at those feelings or dealt with those experiences that we have learned to just bury them, just to carry on. Just if I push that down deeper, it won't come back. Now I'm saying all this, and it maybe sounds as though I'm saying it in a way of like, because I've got this sorted, so, you know. 
but that is really not the case. This is something that I am definitely working on and really do not have it all together yet. But you know what? I'm really committed to trying to explore this further. And so to finish, I've got um, four actions that I believe we can take away that can just help us to begin knowing yourself so that you can know God better. First one is make silence and solitude part of your discipleship journey. This can look like two minutes in the morning, two minutes in the evening, just to stop in silence, no distraction, nothing around, and just to be still and say, God, I'm just here for you. I'm not going to pray anything. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to have anything on in the background to make the atmosphere nicer. I'm just going to be still. Maybe it looks like a bit more of a rhythm of something else, like uh, Ness Wilson, who leads Open Heaven in Loughborough, who we are a church plant of. Um, She's got a great little saying that is, divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abscond annually. So divert daily as this, just take in a few minutes, whether it's two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes each day, just to stop and divert from all the distraction of life into God. Next one is withdraw weekly. Maybe this is 30 minutes, an hour, just a little bit longer, where once a week we actually spend some really intentional time to withdraw from everything that's going on and engage with God. And then finally, abscond annually. This is about getting away, maybe for half a day, a full day, a weekend, a week, not with young kids, but maybe half a day, that we get away, we get into the wild place, or we go to a coffee shop, whatever suits you best, but we get away and we just have a longer period of time where we spend time with God. And this will look different for different people. For someone like me, being predominantly introverted, the idea of silence and solitude oh, is so exciting. I can't wait to get away and just spend some time with myself, just hanging out, me and God. Oh, dream. And maybe those of you that are more extroverted on the introvert-extrovert scale, so you get your energy from being around people, you might kind of think, oh, this won't work for me. I get my energy from people, like being by myself. No. But you know what? Rachel is a massive extrovert. And she has learned and is learning that this place of silence of solitude with God is vital for her discipleship. You know, if you actually read the scripture, you would think that Jesus himself was probably a little bit further along the extroverted scale. He spent a lot of time with people. He, um, yeah, like loved engaging in that. Yet often he retreated into the desert place. And maybe for some of you, the idea of silence of solitude is terrifying. The idea of being alone by yourself with no distraction, nothing but you in that moment could just be, like, overwhelming. Because you're scared of what might come up, what might come to the surface. But trust me, this is vital at moving forward in our emotional health. Secondly, find a trusted companion to share with. For example, have someone that you permission to speak into your life, who you trust to have your best interest at heart. 
who will challenge you and encourage you. Maybe this could be one-to-one -one discipleship. So we're going to be launching um, kind of more intentional, organized one-to-one -one discipleship, which is once a week or a fortnight or once a month where we just get together with someone else who we trust, who maybe is further along in our discipleship journey, and we just basically say to them, look, I give you permission to challenge me on everything. Or maybe you want to put some boundaries in at first, but I just want to give you permission to say, how's it going? So maybe that is a good way for you to begin moving in that. Thirdly, be prepared to move out of your comfort zone. Allowing ourselves to sit in our emotions for longer rather than stuffing them down is really messy. It will feel uncomfortable. But if we are to deal with them, if we are to truly know who we are so that we might know God, we must face them. So importantly, fourth, pray for courage. As we dig into getting to know ourselves more, we will need courage not just to dwell in that difficult place, yet courage to want to know and see change in our lives, becoming all we can be in Jesus and knowing him better. So to close, I'm going to um, read a short prayer from the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book. Um, we're then going to have two minutes of silence. Apart from you, you'll probably hear Caleb. But let's claim it silence. Just to be still and become aware of our emotions, our thoughts, our feelings. You might want to just quietly beforehand ask God to reveal areas of your life he wants to do a work in that are beneath the surface. Then the band um, will begin, begin to come in leaders in some worship. Um, but don't feel as though you've got to kind of write the band to play now, so up I get, and I need to sing, and I need to do that. Like, don't feel as though you've got to do that straight away. You might want to, but you might just want to stay in that moment and listen to God for longer. Maybe activate yourself to ask someone for prayer that actually you need. You kind of aren't sure if you have the courage inside yourself to say, oh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to move in this. Maybe you need someone else to pray that over you. Or maybe you feel as though you need to pray for someone else. That's great. But importantly, it is to have a little bit of time to let this Copernican revolution begin to settle in our hearts. So don't rush or move away from this space, okay? We've got plenty of time. So if you are able, will you stand with me and uh, I'll pray this over us. So I will pray this prayer and we will just have two minutes to just become aware of who we are and who God is in us. Lord, help me to be still before you. Lead me to a greater vision of who you are and in so doing, may I see myself the good, the bad, and the ugly.
Grant me the courage to follow you, to be faithful, to become the unique person you have created me to be. I ask you for the Holy Spirit's power to not copy another person's life or journey. God, submerge me in the darkness of your love, that the consciousness of my false everyday self falls away from me like a soiled garment. May my deep self fall into your presence, knowing you alone, carried away into eternity like a dead leaf in the November wind. In Jesus' name, amen.